Hi again, everybody. I'm Tim Yuma, and you're locked on to Employment Notebook here on localjobnetwork.com radio, where we bring you the most knowledgeable guests on the important topics in the workplace. Now, we've all been there working with an individual who simply isn't carrying his or her weight. And if you've never experienced that, well, maybe you're that one or you've been lucky enough to have some great coworkers. Either way, it can be complicated trying to figure out how to handle this coworker that might be affecting your job. So to help us wade through these muddy waters, we have Carrie Patterson on LJN Radio. Carrie is the co-founder of Vital Smarts, an innovator in corporate training and leadership development. Vital Smarts has also consulted with more than 300 of the Fortune 500 companies and trained more than a million people worldwide. Carrie, how are you doing today? I'm fine, thank you, Tim. How are you? I'm doing very well. Appreciate you coming on the show. And as we chatted a little bit beforehand, you uh Plenty of experience in this area, so definitely something our listeners should be able to learn from. Now, you mentioned, though, that uh, based on some research, about 93% of employees report that they do have a a coworker that doesn't really pull their weight, yet only about 10% speak up about those underperforming colleagues. What makes it so difficult for one peer to sort of call out another peer on their work effort? First of all, let me suggest that dealing with a person who's not carrying their weight is really no different than dealing with a person who's doing anything you don't like. <laughs> I mean, it could be, you know, they could be abrasive, they could be playing the radio loud, whatever. It's a coworker who's doing something you don't want them to be doing. In this case, they're not carrying their fair share. The answer is always the same. People don't address those issues because human beings are cognitive creatures who anticipate the consequences associated with their behavior and then act in their own best interest. The non-scientific explanation is they say, if I talk to this person, bad things will happen. More bad will come from it than good will come from it. So I'm going to stay mom and put up with the devil I know. I'll carry more than my fair share and just badmouth them behind their back. Because if I speak to them, bad things will happen. Well, and you mentioned a portion there, though, if you don't speak up and you don't say something about it, what are some of those negative impacts that could come about from that situation? Well, first of all, you should speak up. I got a phone call yesterday. I have a trainer whose wife is a grade school principal and uh, she said, she called me and said, yeah, I read your book, Crucial Conversations. I remember this stuff a little bit, but I've got a, a teacher who's not doing their part, fair share of the shared work. How do I handle this? And I said, how long has this been going on? Oh, this person's been doing it for 10 years. Oh, geez. <laughs> yeah, for 10 years. Said, and why are you bringing it up now? I said, everyone's learned to walk around them like you're walking on eggshells. They blow up. You know, horrible things happen and whatnot. It's better just let it go. But we have this new teacher who's come and said, I'm not going to put up with this. I want to go talk with them. And I said, well, how much data do you have regarding this person? They said, well, 10 years worth, we've just never done anything with it. <laughs> and what happens, of course, is they end up bad-mouthing the person behind their back. They end up carrying more than their fair share. They're often complaining when they go home. They're often overworked. They can put in overtime. They end up having to do jobs they don't want to do. The list is endless of negative consequences, all of which you'd think would come to a point where you say, I'm not putting up with this anymore. And often people will go a really long time before they'll say anything. Mm-hmm. No, that's a great point. And you mentioned all those sort of negatives that come about from not saying something where at least if you were to, even if it goes all horribly wrong, at least it's over and done with and, and you move on from there. Yeah. But that does bring up the question. You bring up a great point there as well. When is the proper time to bring it up? You don't want to jump the gun on somebody, but obviously you're not going to wait 10 years to bring it up. So where's that sweet spot or when do you bring up these issues with somebody? Well, first of all, you have to ask yourself, is it something you really care enough about to bring up? I mean, sure. that is a fair question. And more often, I mean, someone's I had a guy say to me, you know, gee, I noticed you just put your foot up on your desk and that really bothers me. 
And I remember responding to him saying, and whose foot and whose desk? I mean, where, did, where do you <laughs> enter this formula here and why are you bringing it up? I mean, there are certain things you probably ought to just say, you know, I, I wouldn't do that. Maybe I won't say Maybe I won't say anything anyways. It doesn't really you know, amount to enough to, to hold the conversation. But when they're not carrying their fair share and there's negative consequences, you would do well to speak early. If you don't speak early, you're giving tacit or unspoken approval. Mm. Then when you wait six months, well, why didn't you say something earlier? What's wrong with you? I mean, what do you mean this has been going on? <laughs> and now all of a sudden you're the bad guy. And, and so you really ought to speak with it quickly. And the way you can do it so that it doesn't feel like you're jumping the gun mm-hmm. is to use a skill we call contrasting, which is to explain what you don't intend and what you do intend to help them avoid drawing the wrong conclusion about why you're bringing it up. So I would simply say, you know, this is not really a big deal, but I think I'd like to bring it up now before you know, it builds over time and it might get worse. And then you mention what the problem is. And so you use the contrasting statement to say, I'm trying to catch it in a timely fashion. You might want to share mutual purpose and say, I want to do this in a way that works out for both of us. And then you start talking about the problem. But you catch it early. You tell them it's early. You want to catch it before it gets out of control. Right. And I know some people listening are then going to think, well, if this is, you know, peer to peer, it's a coworker on the same level. Is this something you go to your manager about in some instances, or is that only if it's like a legal issue? Yeah, you certainly would with safety, legal, you know, things you need to go to HR and into the legal department. And I think those are fairly self-evident, mm-hmm. you know, when you're seeing, you know, crimes occurring, et cetera. But if you're talking about the things that I think most people have in mind, which is, hey, we agreed that we would, and this could be as simple as sharing in the dirty work. In other words, we're all equal peers here, and yet someone's going to have to clean out under the router over there and get on their hands and knees and scrub that. And we rotate that. And, you know, I had to just go talk to them about that. And going to your boss feels a little bit like tattletelling. Right. And it's also, it's also kind of violates what teams are about. Teams, mm. you know, when, when we go to organizations that have been very organized, often have unions and real strict rules about even ever talking to your peer. They're required by contract to go to their boss and sort of say something to their boss because you would never talk to a peer. That's a really unhealthy relationship. Most of them have been resolved over the years and people say, I don't want to work like in a place like that. We should be able to talk to each other peer to peer, friend to friend, coworker to coworker. And under those conditions, it makes sense to say, I'm going to go talk with them before it escalates to the point where the boss has to be brought in. People don't want to be ratted out to the bus. Exactly. And I think you're right. That's that's exactly the idea that we're trying to avoid in this circumstance and trying to be adults with the situation. And of course, uh, sometimes it doesn't work out, but that's what we're trying to get to here. How about approaching the individual with this conversation? Now, you alluded to it a little bit there. Maybe some types of words or terms, phrases that you would be using or some alternatives to what you mentioned to us already? First of all, we'd ask if set aside a time where we can chat with them so we don't just impose ourselves upon them. Once you set aside a time, that sort of sort of says, "Oh, this is important enough. He wants to talk, you know, one on one. Right? I don't want to talk about a bunch of other people. This is probably a big enough deal. I would say I want to talk about a problem and I want to catch it before it comes to big a deal. What could we talk tomorrow, say during the break? Once you're at the break, there, you don't need to sort of mamsy pamsy around and say, "How's the family doing?" I mean, it feels a little bit like lathering before the shave. <laughs> you know, you know, hey, how are the kids? What right. are <laughs> How's Christmas? And by the way, I hate your work ethic. No. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> everybody who is easy to work with, please step forward. Not so fast, Tim. You know, there's all of these <laughs> sort of funny but not workable. And so you essentially sit down and say, gosh, I'm glad you took a second here. I want to make sure that we have clarity around an issue. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And so you start off tentatively and let them know you're not even sure if it is a problem. Okay. Because in many, in many cases, they may not be aware of it, in which case just telling them would be enough and they never heard. 
in other cases, you may not have clarified ground rules at all. And so what's in your head is a wrong behavior and their head is simply not. And when you form teams, often they'll form ground rules and whatnot. But if you were to come to my company, there's 110 people here working in various teams and whatnot. We don't have a bunch of posted ground rules about how you work in teams. And so you might start off saying, my recollection was, or my understanding is, we said we were going to divide up the work in the following fashion. And this speaks to the unfair workload. And you were going to do A, B, and C. I was going to do D, E, and F. And then you describe what you've seen. I've noticed over the last three days, and this is the scientist in you, describing the facts of the situation, not your conclusions. You don't start off with, you know, I can't count on you. You're unreliable. Those are ugly, inflammatory conclusions. You start with the facts. I'm not sure this is what we agreed to it, but I thought you said you were going to do A, B, and C. I was going to do D, E, and F. In the last two weeks, I've been doing C as well. It just doesn't get done, so I just go fill in. Can we talk about that? Then you have to wait and see what they're going to say. You know, like the most common response is, oh, yeah, we did agree to that. I haven't got around to do it. And, you have, and they're often going to apologize and pick up their load and you're going to move on. Mm-hmm. You know, because you started the conversation by describing the facts and then asking if they see it differently. Is that what we agreed to or not? Because sometimes you're going to say, oh, I didn't even know. Really? I mean, who told you that? Sure. In which case it's now a ground rule setting discussion, not a problem discussion. You don't have a problem until there's a violation of a ground rule. And I think that's a great distinction to have as far as in a lot of cases, it might be just that person didn't realize it, that they weren't pulling their weight or that this was you know, the way things were done or however you want to phrase it. What if they do, though, have a rebuttal or they do, for lack of a better term, fight you on this issue? Where do you go from there? Because obviously we don't want things to escalate. Yes. Well, it, what typically will happen at that point is if they're saying, I don't agree, then you're going to have to ask yourself, I mean, who's the one who established these rules? Are these, are these job contracts? Okay. The boss have to be brought in here? Because if it was the two of us just said, let's break it up this way, and now they're changing their mind, under those circumstances, you'd say, well, let's talk about why you think it needs to go, you're doing, not doing C, when I thought we were both going to do that. Why don't you share your view on why you think I should do it and you shouldn't? And then give me a chance to give me my view on that and to together to see if we can come to something that works to both our satisfaction. Sure. So here's one where you're sort of saying there's no right or wrong in this from a contractual standpoint, but it's just sort of what makes sense or what I thought made sense for both of us. And let's hear both sides here because obviously you've changed your mind. Another important facet of this, and you touched on a little bit there, is getting to the facts versus the yeah. opinion side of it. Why is that so important and how can somebody weed out the facts from opinion other than having some sort of document or statistics with you? Well, you know, actually having document statistics, uh, it's certainly in your head is really where you want to start. Okay. If you don't have any information, the first question I had to this principal was, what information do you have? Right. Well, people say that she's really hard to work with. You have to walk on eggshells. Those are not behaviors. Hmm. Those are conclusions about your behaviors. Those are subject. Those are subjective rather than objective. They're about the person themselves, the subject. They're a bad person, I've concluded. If you give them that kind of information, there's two problems with it. One, it's inflammatory. It's likely to lead to them responding negatively. No one wants to be called an unreliable loser. (laughs) And, And two, they don't inform the person as to what the actual problem is. Now they know what you're thinking about them, but they may not know what they did to lead to that conclusion. Mm -hmm. So rather than saying, you know, I've concluded that you're unreliable and untrustworthy, which would be less inflammatory, but still vague terms and conclusions, you would say over the last three or four weeks on these occasions, this is what I saw. That's in violation, or at least I think it was from what we agreed to. Do you see that differently? There's really no reason for them to get angry because you're not using inflammatory terms. You're being tentative by asking for their opinion. 
and also you know you're being you know thoughtful and respectful as you're describing behaviors rather than here's some ugly conclusions I've drawn are they right and I think that helps the listener too. I mean, you obviously have been interjecting some terrific examples as far as how to phrase things, how to bring it up. And I like that sort of tentative side of it to make sure you're not being overly aggressive with what we're talking about. Yes. Now, along the similar lines with that, how much do you bring up or how far do you go back? I feel like there has to be some kind of balance because that could cause more problems. I think that there's two things that can cause problems. One is going back too far and the other one, or three, one is bringing too many in. So we've gone too far, and now there's five items rather than three. Right. And others, and then bringing in other people's feedback who aren't even in the room. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, what <laughs> I everyone think about says, <laughs> I can't speak, you know, I can't speak for myself, but Larry was, you know, I mean, everyone's talking about it. No, you talk about what you've observed, you talk about the most recent, and you talk about one or two items only. Okay. Otherwise, it's going to feel like what you just is piling on, and mm-hmm. it's late, it's, it's irrelevant, you know, and so, and you might say, you know, I'm kind of embarrassed to bring this up because it's been going on for a while and <laughs> I thought it wouldn't bother me and, and now it's starting to bother me. So I, maybe I should bring it up even though it's been going on for a while. I mean, you explain, you realize it wasn't done very timely, but you still want to talk about it. Another uh, item that you mentioned in something uh, that I had read of yours, it mentioned trying to make it safe when you do this. What do you mean by that? And how do you go about ensuring that this whole conversation, this whole situation is safe? Okay. Well, what you want to the safe part is, are they going to get beat up for speaking their mind? Are you going to jump all over them? Right. <laughs> you know, so they feel unsafe. Um, you're going to be jumping all over them. Facts, but not these nasty conclusions. And so everything I've been talking about has been around creating a sense of safety. So establishing mutual purpose, sort of saying, you know, I don't want to have a conversation here where I get what I want, you don't get what you want. That won't work. Over the long run, it's just not going to work. Let's see if we can come to a conclusion that we both like. That adds a huge amount of safety to the conversation because it says to the person, when I'm done here, they're not going to have beat me up verbally and left me wounded and doing something I don't want to do. They just told me, I, you know, they're not going to be happy unless I'm happy. I'm willing, I'm willing to go forward now. Mm-hmm. Using facts rather than ugly conclusions says it's safe to talk with you, with you without you drawing the worst you know, assumption about me and my underlying motive. You know, I can trust that you're not going to be, you know, in, in beating me up in your head. Using contrasting or saying what I don't want to do is tell you what to do. What I do want to do is clarify what I think we agreed to and then see if I missed something there. Sure. That also makes it safe by not confirming their worst suspicions. And so these are all going to make it to the point where the other person can say, oh, I'm glad you brought that up. Let's talk. Carrie, you brought up some wonderful examples and details as far as how our listeners can handle a situation like this and ensure that it is safe and comfortable and it doesn't lead to obviously any future issues. But I wanted to give you the floor here at the end just to give our listeners any final pieces of advice you would like to give them that maybe they are being affected by a coworker who is slacking a bit or they're not sure how to handle this. What would you give them as a nice takeaway from this discussion? Well, one of the things is I don't want to be Pollyanna and pretend that whatever you do is going to work. Um, sometimes people become upset for a variety of reasons, no matter how skilled you are, there's a long history. And when you're dealing with a coworker, you always have in your back pocket, you know what? Sounds like we're not going to be able to work this out on our own. Let's go talk with Larry and see what Larry thinks, how we should divide this up. And you, you can, at some point, go to a third party to help you with that, particularly the boss. My advice is not to do that as initial setting, but to know that there are, you know, that, uh, this is not a panacea that fix everything. I've had people say, okay, I had the conversation. They say, up yours or what, something horrible. And, 
and that was the end of it. And it doesn't have to. When people are behaving inappropriately, it would be appropriate at some point to say, you know what, not tattle on and say, we haven't come to agreement. Let's set a meeting with Larry and see what, or, or Linda and see what she has to say. All right. Well, that will do it for us on this edition of Employment Notebook. And we've been talking about how to handle those situations where maybe a coworker isn't carrying his or her weight. And we've been talking about this with a true expert in this area. His name is Carrie Patterson co-founder of Vital Smarts. Carrie, thanks a lot for coming on, sharing your insight, uh, your passion for this subject. I think you've given our listeners a lot to think about when it comes to this idea. So thanks for coming on the show. Okay, thanks, Tim. And one thing, I haven't said this, but I mean, if you want to see more detail about it, we wrote a book called Christian Conversations where this is contained in great detail. There you go. You want some more info? There's where you can find it as well. And if you'd like to get in touch with us about this show or any others in the future, go ahead and shoot us an email, ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. You can also reach out to us on Twitter. Find us at the LJN. For everyone here at LJN Radio, I'm your host, Tim Muma. Take care, everybody. (laughs) 